I'm Father Harry Dean with the Restorative Justice Ministry of the Diocese of Austin. With me today is Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, our Pastoral Care Coordinator for the Gatesville Region in Restorative Justice Ministry, and Renee Brown, a licensed professional counselor with Catholic Charities of Central Texas. She's actually Director of Counseling. And today she has graciously agreed to speak with us about distance parenting, a topic that's on our mind frequently in the restorative justice ministry, as the people that we meet in the prisons oftentimes struggle with being parents while they're incarcerated. So very grateful to you, Renee, for being here today. And the first question I'd like to ask you is why use the term incarcerated person as opposed to the term prisoner? Well, I was thinking about the term prisoner, and it made me think about how often we as individuals create prisons in our mind, Um, whether that's due to cultural, whether that's the way that we grew up. If it's, um, I'm a prisoner of my depression, I'm a prisoner to my family culture. And so it made me think about the term incarcerated person takes away that term prisoner. I'm a prisoner of something. When we think about a prisoner, we think about, I can't escape this. And what we're hoping is through good mental health practices, perhaps people can escape some of those prisons that they've actually put themselves in or have become part of their family culture and structure. Renee, how would you define good mental health? So good mental health is all about as a positive sense of well-being. Um, It's going to enable you to survive painful situations, um, maybe uh, get through sadness or disappointment a little easier. Um, And it requires this underlying belief um, that your dignity and worth is valuable and that other persons value and dignity have worth and value. So when we talk about incarcerated persons and the journey that they take, Deacon Ronnie and I certainly have for many years now been in their world and sat and spent time with them and learned any number of things that we can observe where we can see where there is a sense of distress, there's a sense of anxiety, there's a sense of frustration, uh, any number of things like that. Um, but how how would you define, uh, excuse me, what are some of the t- typical mental health issues incarcerated persons may be experiencing that he and I have, have seen them experience? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I share with people that my daughter was incarcerated. Um, she was incarcerated in one of the units in Gatesville. And so when I was putting together some of these, you know, thoughts about what are some of the things that mental health experiences that incarcerated people are having. It wasn't just research, but it was also in conversations with her as well to get some of that, you know, background of what's going on. And so one of the things that people may experience while incarcerated is isolation from family, you know, isolation from friends. Um, In prison, you know, it's not like you can just pick up the phone and call people. You don't have people that are maybe family members that could be right next door to you. You don't have access to texting or your cell phone so that you can immediately pick up that phone and reach out to people. 
Um, typically, you know, you have to have a calling card kind of system to get in contact with people or do visitations. Of course, right now, there are no visitations in prisons. Um, some of the prisons have video capability to meet with family and friends, but I've heard that some of the prisons have that technology. Others do not. So isolation is very poignant. Um, loss of privacy and poor physical hygiene and physical maybe conditions, right? So we know that in, in the prison itself, there is a loss of privacy. You know, at home, I can go to any room in my house and have moments that I need by myself, privacy. In prison, there's always somebody there. You're surrounded by inmates, guards. Um, at I can't think of at any time that you would be alone to have those private moments that you need. Um, and then, like I said, you know, sometimes the physical conditions, maybe some of the hygienic conditions that we look at. Um, I know that when my daughter was incarcerated, she had to take cold showers, you know, and in her particular unit, for a while, they didn't have air conditioning. So just some of those basic things that we take for granted, they don't have, and that can keep you mentally, you know, upset or, or feeling hurt. Um, also, um, aggression and bullying, you know, the fear, a suspicion of other people. Um, I can remember her sharing stories with me, you know, when I would visit, and there were incidences where people would bully other people, you know, and there were some some inmates who were more aggressive than others. And so she would have to deal with knowing who those people were. How do I take care of myself in these situations? So a lot of fear and the suspicion. Who, who can I really trust in these situations and who can I can't? And it's not just inmates in that situation. It can be guards as well. Um, dealing with the attitudes, and here we are with, with guards, is dealing with the attitudes of unsympathetic um, or uninformed staff. Uh, you know, I'm not aware of the training that maybe some of the staff gets at the prison. So they may not have that background to know, like, an offender, are they, you know, is this a person with a mental health need or is this just a person acting out? They may not have the training to respond to that. So that uninformed piece with the people working in the prison. Um, and lack of purposeful activity. This was a crucial thing that she brought up to me in that she worked while she was in prison and she took classes. And part of that gave her purpose. The classes that she was taking were helping her to prepare when she came out, like training classes that she could take and getting some certifications. So for like job placement when she left prison. But she loved working because it got her out, you know, oh, it got her out of her unit and it had her busy. It had her, you know, being um, not just busy, but like she was giving back in some way. There was a purpose. Um, she worked on the yard. And um, so she'd even asked me one day, she goes, did you notice the good weed eating out there? I did that. And so it was that sense of purpose and a, a sense of work. Um, also loss of identity. You know, I think people often in prison situations, they lose that idea of who they are. You know, who am I? What is my identity now? Um, now I'm just a prisoner. You know, they feel like they've lost that. Um, also pressure to escape um, or pressure to take drugs. So it was really interesting. Um, 
both of my, ch- I have two children. Both of them have been incarcerated. My son was in prison um, in Hutchins, which is in the Dallas area, for a short amount of time, but it was a drug-related charge. And I went to visit him, and we're sitting in the little lunch area where you do, vi- do visitation. My back was to the door, but I could see him eyeing the door where I came in, and I was like, buddy, there's no escaping. Like, you're not even going to try it on my watch, right? But it becomes like this innate feeling, and it's almost like a, a scary kind of thing. Like, I need to escape from here. And also to take drugs. You know, that can be something that people are feeling as well, that need for drugs. We know that there are some drugs that, even though you may not be using currently, there are certain drugs that take years to leave the system. There's new information that if you use meth, meth can actually settle into the cells of your brain and be there for seven years, slowly leaving. And then after seven years, you will experience withdrawals. So very interesting. One of the things that comes up over and over again with us in terms of meth are when people uh, go to a unit that is a drug purpose unit to help them uh, be able to to get away from that particular drug, but others as well, is a real high degree of anxiety towards the end of their program and being released back into society Mm -hmm. that they're actually going to be able to stay away from the drug. And so that uh, mounts that. And when we hear them talking about the needs of their family and how they're so ready to get back and all that anxiety is swimming around in there already with them. And, and are there strategies for them to be able to, to power through that while incarcerated and also to build up their confidence that they're going to be able to parent uh, after they, uh, after they get out? You know, I think um, in terms of leaving prison, The best idea is to get counseling if you can find it. You know, a good counseling program, a support program, um, similar to like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but they do have uh, those uh, programs for those people that are using drugs that are former drug users. So I think it's NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I have known some people that have went through that program and have found success. So I think it's about the support systems because sometimes our families don't know how to give us support when they're not drug users or former drug users. They just don't have the capacity and all they can think about is they're out and everything is going to get back to normal, what they perceive normal to be. And so I think coming out and finding a good support program and getting in with a good counselor that can give you that support or going to your local parish, you know, going to clergy for that support too can be very helpful. Renee, could you help us better understand what is psychological burnout? Um, psychological burnout <clears throat> is it, it, it comes about from prolonged stress And if you think about persons in prison, they're experiencing stress almost 24-7. Their bodies are experiencing stress the whole time they're there. Their brain is constantly working, right? It's all that suspicion and the fear and the anxiety, all those pieces. And then what happens is after so long, the brain is overworked and you become burned out. And it could be literally that you will shut down. You know, you may feel like you just can't talk at all. You can't deal with things. It can look like panic attacks. 
you know, where you're breathing very heavily, you can't catch your breath. So that is what that severe psychological burnout can look like. Um, It can be like loss of motivation. Um, You may uh, have a negative outlook that you just can't seem to get past. You know, often if we're experiencing negativity, we will figure out ways to pull ourselves out of it. But often with psychological burnout, people just can't figure a way out of it. Um, And there's there's a sense of decreased satisfaction. Even for those people that might be in prison taking some classes or maybe they work and that's kind of their feel good thing, that may not even work after a while due to psychological burnout. So what do you do? What do you do to recover from it? So it's interesting because in prison, you're going to have really limited things in a way that you can do. But if you have those opportunities to connect with family and friends via phone or via writing letters, that can be so helpful. That connection to the people that you love and care about is just so helpful. Also exercise. I mean, it was really interesting because um, the unit that my daughter was in, for some reason, they could not like work out, but they could walk the perimeter of like this area out back. And so she would do that several times a day. Actually, we talk about that walking is the absolute best activity that you can do for anxiety. Uh, They have found that a 20 minute walk daily will help decrease your anxiety by like 40 to 50%. Um, Taking mental breaks and people, people simply don't do this. I don't do this. Um, But you know, when you are incarcerated, if you can get those moments, maybe to get on your bunk or get in another area, if you're outside at rec, whatever, take those moments to just breathe in, breathe out deeply, you know, um, not talking to anybody and just take a mental break. From what's going on around you. Um, also, um, creativity goes a long way. If you're a person that likes to draw, if you like to write, if you like to write music, um, all of those can be helpful endeavors. I am a big proponent of journaling. So if people have access to pen and paper or pencil and paper, that can be such a huge growing opportunity is to journal. And it kind of comes from the old educator in me, When you see your words written on paper, it's your print or your cursive. It's your actual writing. When you write, you hear your voice in your head. And so it becomes such a powerful tool to write. You're writing your feelings. You're writing your thoughts. So everything that's going on in your head, you're putting it on paper. And then you can see it and you can make better sense of it. So Journaling, writing is such an awesome way to get through some of the sadness or anxiety that people are experiencing. Um, And also to create a self-care plan. So um, people come into our offices all the time and we create a self-care plan with them. Self-care plans have different facets to them. So typically there's going to be a physical part. So you're going to plan for some physical activity. Um, You know, if The unit that you're housed in offers a gym. Perhaps you can get in there and work out every day. If not, if you're allowed to walk the grounds, that can cover for your physical pieces. You want to look at the psychological pieces. You know, you want to look at what are the things that are really hurting you? Is it the fear? Is it that isolation? What is going on with the psychological pieces? And then you want to take care of your psychological self. 
You also want to look at your emotional self. You know, what can I do to take care of my emotions? That's when the writing can come into play. And that's also a great time to be thinking about um, getting into the spiritual part of your self-care plan, too. Every self-care plan has a spiritual part. Um, And this could be prayer. It could be reading prayers. It could be writing your own prayers, whatever that looks like. Communion with God, if that's meditation, any of those things are going to be helpful. So creating a self-care plan. And literally, I would just write this down, like physical, and then put what you're going to do for your physical activity, psychological, emotional, spiritual, and put down some things that you can do in a limited, contained kind of place. What can I do to meet these needs? Taking care of yourself and having that self-care plan can be such a valuable tool to helping you get through some of those stressful moments. And one of the things regarding that spiritual component that we hear frequently from both the males and the females is Mm -hmm. that their regularly scheduled services, uh, particularly for us with mass and confessions and catechesis, is something that they look forward to where they're on a weekly basis. And they'll say things like, this is a, a time of the week that I look forward to every week because it's normal. It feels normal. I walk in here and we have mass and we interact in a way that we used to when we were outside, knowing that when we walk out of this worship space, we're going back into an environment that is loaded with all of those different kinds of bumpinesses of mental health that you've just described. All of that said, and you having set the the, the tone here and the, the framework for what we're up against in terms of people managing their lives in prison, what does all that do to impact them as they try when they have a moment to connect with their family at visitation, on a phone call, through their letters? Uh, what are they having to, to do to put themselves in a place of good parenting mode, mm-hmm. uh, given the fact that they're in that environment, as you've described? You know, it's really interesting because when when I was putting the segments together, it's all about distance parenting, right? But Part of parenting is taking care of ourselves. And so that's why I created the segments in this manner, because it's going to make it very challenging for you to parent your children, especially parenting from afar, when you're not in a good place yourself. And you're not going to be in a perfect place because it is an incarcerated situation, but you can do those things to get in a better place. The thing is, by taking your care of yourself mentally and emotionally, then you're going to be a better in a better frame of mind when you are trying to parent your children. Not to mention that everything in the segments, these first three segments, everything that we're talking about is what your children are going through as well. So when we talked about at the beginning, the prisons that we create for ourselves, your children have created prisons for themselves, right? Children start very young trying to figure out like, oh, I can't do this because I'm a girl or I can't do this because I'm overweight or there's all sorts of prisons that even children create for themselves. When we look at mental health, children experience times of isolation, especially if their parent is incarcerated. They may be isolating at home. They may be living with grandma or mom or somebody else, but 
the other parent is missing. And so some of these same pieces that you're seeing in everything that we've talked about such so far this morning, your children are experiencing the same thing at home. And so the, the interesting thing is, is not only are these segments going to help you prepare or kind of work on your own mental and emotional health, but it prepares you to work with your children when you're talking to them. So if your child says, you know, I've been going to to my bedroom every day and I just sit in my closet and I cry because I miss you. Now you understand that this child is experiencing isolation just like you're feeling isolation. So the interesting thing is in every segment, these are going to touch in to the same experiences that your children are having without you. And so in terms of like children experiencing anxiety, most people are very surprised to know that probably about 70% of children experience anxiety. And in the same ways that we talked about earlier, um, the negative thoughts about self, maybe feeling stigmatized, maybe they're being bullied at school, essentially everything that's happening to you is happening to them. You would even be able to talk to your kiddos about a self-care plan. You know, you could be on the phone with them or if they come to visit, you know, you could sit there at the table with them on a visitation and write out a self-care plan with your kiddo. I mean, and you could do this for a very young child, even to age four. They're very uh, able to comprehend these things like, oh, you're feeling sad without me or you're feeling sad because, you know, daddy's incarcerated. Well, let's let's work out a plan to help you feel better. So what are you doing for fun? You know, what are you doing to give physical, you know, are you going outside to play? Are you jumping rope? Are you on the swing set, you know, and really work through that with them? You know, what are you doing for emotional care? You know, do you love yourself? Do you affirm yourself? Do you let yourself cry and, and that's acceptable? You know, um, and then the spiritual piece, Does are you going to church on Sunday? You know, or, you know, are you saying your prayers at night? Do you talk to God about what hurts you? You know, do you talk to God about what you feel? So it's really interesting that everything that we're going to talk about, these first three segments, are things that people can do with their children. And I love the idea of parents creating that self-care plan with their children because it's a great way to connect with them. You know, if you're incarcerated, you may not have had a lot of opportunity to communicate with your kiddo, right? So maybe... Two months ago, they were into basketball, but now they switched and they're into hockey or something, right? So it's also a great way just to get to know each other, you know, and know what they're get, you know, what they're into currently, what's going on with them. Also, when you're talking about those emotional pieces or those psychological pieces with your kiddo, it can also, you know, alert you to maybe some things that are going on that maybe you weren't aware of, like maybe they are being bullied at school or that those kind of things, you know, maybe they're struggling to make friends. And so those will, those are things that parents talk to their kids about, and you'll have that opportunity to talk to your kids too. We're talking with uh, Renee Brown, Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. Uh, one of the things as you were speaking there, Renee, uh, as well, uh, I'm a parent, I'm in, in prison, I'm, I'm living the incarcerated life. Um, there's a lot of uh, just survival going on there. I have to be very attuned to my own little sphere, who's entering it, um, uh, how do I manage myself, how do I navigate the different things that are in prison. Um, is it a challenge for a parent to step out of that me mode 
when they have the opportunity to interact with their children and put back on the parent mode where it's all about them, not about me. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely challenging to do that, especially if you think about that 24-7 like we talked before. Uh, Incarcerated people 24-7 have to be on guard. You know, it does have to be about you and this world that you're trying to survive in, you know. And literally, when your family comes to visit or you're on a phone a phone call with your child, you have to take that armor off, so to speak, and become this other person. And so then it kind of becomes about compartmentalizing. Um, we talk about that in counseling. We don't want people to stuff feelings, but sometimes we have to be able to compartmentalize. And that means for that moment, if you get a two-hour visitation with your kiddo for two hours, your armor that you wear in that prison every day has to get checked into its little box somewhere, and then you become dad or you become mom. What I tell people to envision, and this is going to speak to how old I am, but if you'll remember back in the day when you would go to your public library and they had the card catalog, these young folks will not know what this is. They're going to be like, what's a card catalog? But literally, it looks like just these tiny drawers that had cards in it. And so what I have my clients imagine is that they have their own card catalog. You have your own set of drawers. And each drawer, you put something in there. So if it's grief and loss because you lost a parent, it goes in a drawer. If it's pain from something that happened to you, it goes in its drawer. So just ima- because we can't sit in feelings and thoughts all the time, right? We just can't stay there. It would not be good for our mental health. So you have to be able to check things. Or if I'm at work, I can't sit here and think about the loss of my father. I can't do that all day. I have to work. So I had to put him in his little compartment for that eight hours I'm at work. And it's the same kind of practice. If you will practice putting the armor, putting away what you're experiencing in prison, put that in its drawer. And when you walk out to see your family or you get on that phone call, you become mom or you become dad. And then you can get into those conversations. This is a practice. And I tell everybody this, counselors make everything sound easy. Like we throw out, you know, some ideas or we throw out suggestions and we make it sound easy and it's hard. It's a hard practice I'll often share with clients, um, when my son was born, we almost died in childbirth. And so when I went back to work, it, it was horrendous. You know, I just thought about him all the time. And literally, I would practice every day when I would arrive at school, I would tell myself, okay, now you're Miss Brown. It's time to teach. You're not mom. You're Miss Brown. And when I would leave, I left school at school. So as I was walking to my car, it's like, okay, you're in mom mode. Now you're Renee. You know, so it's a practice So you'll have to practice every day when you go to that phone, when you go to visitation, you're literally leaving that armor that you have to have to survive in prison. You leave that in its drawer, you leave it in its place, and you become mom or you become dad. And and that's a great thing, too. That's great for your, you know, your mental health. If you think about it, I mean, it's not just so that you can engage with your child at that time, but that's also a nice brain break for you. You don't have to be on edge. You don't have to be in your head about who's doing what, who's on my left, you know, what could be happening around me. You can literally check that and your brain gets a nice little break too. And I would guess if you can engage in that practice, 
wouldn't that over time give you a sense of self-control Absolutely. over some of these other issues like anxiety and frustration and depression and everything else, which oftentimes fill our minds with, you're not in control, you'll never get over this, mm-hmm. you're going to be in a panic attack for the rest of your life. And having practiced what you just got through talking about with the compartmentalizing, you now have in effect a way to say, hey, wait a minute, I was able to put the brakes on that and shift out of a sense of, like Jesus, for us, going to give myself for others, and and instead of it all being about all roads lead to me. Well, we're at our end of our time here for our first program. Um, we will have uh, several more programs upcoming. In our next uh, program, we're going to address the grieving process, anger, and coping skills. And I want to thank Renee very much for her time and her assistance here, Deacon Ronnie as well. Uh, bringing this all together, and uh, we greatly appreciate the wisdom that you've given us, and we very definitely look forward uh, to uh, the uh, the uh, elements that will be upcoming. I'd like to end with a little prayer. Um, we offer this one to St. Dymphna, who is the patroness of those with mental uh, distress and emotional distress. We ask the intercession of St. Dymphna to help us all to stay healthy so that we may serve others. Through Christ our Lord, Amen.